This is episode 18 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast with Selena Reese. Selena has been a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders since 2015. She received her master's degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in 2003. She has worked in acute care, outpatient, and inpatient rehab settings. She currently serves as the Director of Educational Resources for Carolina Speech Pathology while carrying an active caseload providing mobile fee services. She has been deemed competent for supervision and training in fees by Dr. Greg Postma, a board-certified otolaryngologist. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. All right. Welcome back, you guys. I've got a few announcements today. At first, I was planning on doing no announcements, and then as the days snuck up on me, I realized there was a few things I had to tell you. So Let's see. First and foremost, oh my gosh, next week is Christmas, you guys. I just realized that. I have nothing prepared. Ah, And today that I'm doing this recording is the first day of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah, my friends, and Merry Christmas coming up to those of you that celebrate Christmas, and happy holidays to any any other uh, denominations that I missed. But I can't believe this year is winding down already. Of course, it's been totally nuts with this podcast, and I just the broken record that keeps saying how grateful I am, but it's really cool. And and I have to, have to, have to, have to recognize Stephanie Jacobson. She is a young clinician. She works in acute care and she volunteered to come on and help me with the editing of this podcast. So a lot of people have no idea what goes into this, but it's about 40 hours worth of work to, to produce one episode. Um, and, and dear Stephanie here, she does all of the raw editing of the interviews. So that takes her about 10 hours each week and she does it all on volunteer time. So if any of you see Stephanie Jacobson around on, on Facebook or on social media, please tell her, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your work you do on Swallow Your Pride. I think she lives in the San Diego area. Go buy the girl a drink or something, but man, I I could not do this without you, Steph. I, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, like, like I said, there's a lot of different people that work on this podcast. I think there's about eight different people that are helping me with this. Tons of volunteer hours go into this. And, and I've also gotten some emails from some people that are, are displeased that express their displeasure that I am accepting advertising dollars, um, or doing affiliates for this podcast. And quite frankly, there is no way that I could do it without them. Um, a podcast is very expensive to produce and, and, and I need, we need that money to keep this podcast going. So, um, like I said, additionally, each episode takes about 40 hours of work to produce and it can be exhausting. And I don't know that I see it going on long-term with just volunteers since we're all doing this on top of our day jobs. Uh, dear Steph is still, you know, a young clinician trying to learn her way in dysphagia and plus doing this on top. So I've had a lot of people bug me about setting up a Patreon account. So, Um, If you're not familiar with it, it's a crowdfunding site for helping to support this podcast. So if you would like to pledge a small amount to keep this podcast going, please go to Patreon. If you even pledge 25 cents a show or, you know, four bucks a month for your Starbucks, it would be a huge help. 
You don't have to pay a dime. I'm not asking for help, but if you want to help support this thing, please do. Uh, it's not a glorified tip jar. It's just saying, hey, I like what you guys do. I've learned so much. I want to patronize you. Please keep doing it. So if you think this show is valuable, we ask that you give us some of that value back. So if you are interested in donating, like I said, even a quarter, <laughs> a quarter an episode, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Swallow Your Pride. And once you do join, we'll be doing a lot of cool things for the people that are giving us donations. So we'll be doing, you know, State of the Union updates about the show and who's coming up. And I'll be doing some kind of FAQ, you know, question and answer sessions with you guys too. So there will be some some perks to donating. But if that interests you, again, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Swallow Your Pride. Um, and like I said, we do need these affiliates and, and advertisers to keep us going. So our December sponsor of the month is N-D-O-H-D, uh, pronounced N-D-O-H-D, but N-D-O-H-D.com forward slash contact. N-D-O-H-D is a true high-definition endoscopy system created specifically for SLPs by SLPs. And also MedBridge. Uh, we're really grateful for their support with this podcast. I, you know, when you do use that SYP promo code, I do get a small commission, but I firmly believe in all of the, the education that they provide. It's, it's so much value for that amount. So that promo code is still going on. I know we talked about cutting it off at the end of November, but so many of you people kept writing in that you missed it, so they've extended it. So medbridgeeducation.com, go to the SLP premium plan, use promo code SYP, and... You will have access for one full calendar year for $95. But if you need all your CEUs now, since it's crunch time, go ahead and take advantage of that. And lastly, the show notes, we're, we're doing a lot of cool things with those. The show notes now will have live links to the PubMed references. So I know all the references are in there. Um, and you guys were having trouble, you know, so now you see the reference, now you got to go find it. And I've made it even easier for you. So you can click the, the references are all live links now and they link you right to PubMed. So if it's a free open access article, you'll be able to access that. Um, if you aren't sure how to access some articles that are behind paywalls, if you are in my uh, Med SLP newbies group on Facebook, the pinned post at the top is a blog post by Dr. Meredith Harold of the Informed SLP, and she walks you through how to access some of these articles, some different ways to get through them without paying for them. And then lastly, I'm sure you're probably driving while you're listening to this. I don't know. That's <laughs> I'm always driving when I listen to podcasts. Maybe not. But if you would like to download the show notes and you keep forgetting to do it from a computer, you can now text SYP018. That's the episode number here. So text SYP018 to number 44222 and you will be able to download the show notes directly from your phone. So how stinking cool is that? Um, yeah, so I think that is all for the for the updates today. I hope everyone has a happy and safe holiday season. Again, I'm so grateful for all of you and we'll get on with the show. Hi, Selena. Hi, Teresa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So tell everyone a little bit about who you are. Well, I work for Carolina Speech Pathology, which is a mobile fees company, also an ASHA CEU provider. And I've been with them for about eight years. Before that, I, my experience is primarily in acute care. 
And yeah, I just, I've been doing that for a long time and found my passion. And I've really enjoyed uh, working with VAs and doing diagnostics and working in the long-term care setting. It's been a really wonderful experience and journey. Well, that's cool. So I didn't realize you had the acute care background and now you mostly, now you guys mostly contract with skilled nursing. So you've seen it from both sides. Yeah, yeah. I worked in acute care for the beginning of my career and I just got a little bit tired of the weekend and holiday grind. And um, the owner of Carolina Speech Pathology had done some PRN work at one of the hospitals where I was and I got to know him and decided to come on board. And it's been it's been really interesting to watch the mobile fees business grow and be a part of that. Yeah. And grow the education part of the company as well. It's been exciting and fun. So talk a little bit about about that part that you guys do. Yeah. So we, um, well, the sister company, so Stuart Bradley owns Carolina Speech Pathology. And then he also owns um, Altera Vision, which makes the NOHD mobile fee system. And we, when they were selling their equipment, they found that a lot of people were lacking training. So they decided to sort of help with training as far as fees courses and on-site supervision. And that's where I came in and we started offering um, more and more fees courses. We used to just kind of do them when we were asked to do them. And now we do them um, more frequently throughout the year, public and private courses. And um, it's been really fun. It's so fun to work with people as they're getting really excited to grow their fees program and get things started. Yeah, And yeah, it's really, it just reminds me how, how, what a cool job I have. I get to do fees every day and, you know, in the area where I am, fees is pretty prominent, but in other parts of the country, it seems like fees is just now becoming a thing. And so totally. So yeah, it's been really exciting and, and fun to be a part of that and uh, and help people get their program up and running. Why would you want to have to reinvent the wheel when somebody else has already done it and we can kind of help guide you through the whole process because it's confusing. Totally. Yeah. I, I know like when people will email me constantly like, well, where do you think I should start with this? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of people that actually can walk you through the entire thing. Like I would recommend that instead of just piecemealing right. the whole thing together. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, why reinvent the wheel? So exactly. All right. Well, I'm pretty excited about this talk because I can talk anybody's arm off about mobile fees, but you're going to actually talk a little bit more about getting a program going or in a hospital or in a setting where there's a lot more hoops to jump through than just kind of the mobile fees. So why do you think we need instrumentals? Why do you think fees is even important? Well, well, we need instrumentals for several reasons. They're very important. And I know that's been a hot topic on your podcast as well as on Social media. Very much so. Yeah. So, you know, you need instrumentals to determine what your patient can safely eat and drink and figure out why they're having problems and and to figure out what to do so that you can help with their intervention and then down the road, see if the intervention is actually doing what it's supposed to do. So that's why you need instrumentals. And then, you know, a lot of places already have modifieds um, in their hospitals already established because modifieds have been around longer than fees. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to have fees as another option because well, there are a number of reasons. Sometimes there's not enough time to get um, in the radiology suite. I know um, the hospitals where I have worked you typically have a limited number of of modifieds you can do each day. So you have so many time slots, so many appointment slots that you can use. And if you have more patients that need instrumentals, then they're 
they're not going to get them that day and get pushed down to the next day. So it's nice to be able to do that. And then with fees, you can also um, bring it to the patient. So if your patient's on isolation precautions in an ICU and a burn unit, um, bariatric patient, trach and vent patients, it's really nice to be able to come um, and see them at bedside. And I could go on and on about, you know, how you can see secretions on fees and, and you there's no limits on time. And there are so many wonderful reasons why, why fees is, um, is a good resource to have. And, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that you would replace modifieds with fees, but it's just nice to have, have options for your patients because I'm sure there are a number of patients that can't even get down to, to have a modified. And so, so it's good to have another way to look at them. If you have clinics like an ALS clinic or a pediatric clinic, it's nice to be able to have equipment that you can just get down to, to the clinic really quickly and easily without having to schlep the patient all across the hospital to get to the fluoro suite and all that good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And, and are you guys doing a little bit with babies too? We are not, um, but I know that um, there is a, a new research coming out with people using fees in the NICU. I know, I know. Um, Jenny Reynolds is doing some cool stuff with, um, you know, while mom's nursing and, and getting really interesting positions. <laughs> so that I know, I know, I know. When my little man was in the NICU, I was like, I want to scope him so bad. My husband's like, no, I'm like, please. Like, <laughs> did he have swallowing problems? He did. Of Aww. course he did. I know. I know. Oh my <laughs> so it really, I mean, it's something I want to do someday. I really do want to do baby fees, but I think it would be really fun to go and watch. Um, yeah. I don't know if I could do it. Um, I, would I never would have before. before I was a mother. And now, you know, I just know how gut-wrenching it was, you know, that he was in there and there wasn't really anything that we could do. So, yeah, that's another talk, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you probably should get a pediatric clinician. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll <laughs> find someone. Not, I think the yeah. youngest person I've done FEs on was like 13 or 14. So I don't think yeah. anyone younger than that. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So what else is fees good for? Biofeedback. We were talking about that. I was talking about that with somebody yesterday. Yeah, I think it's really cool. And especially in this setting, you know, I'm in, I'm in the long-term care setting and, and as you are you're doing the mobile fees business. And it's really nice to be able to go and, and when people have some, some comprehension difficulties to kind of a picture speaks a thousand words and, and a movie, I think, is even more. And being able to um, really get buy-in from your patient and their families to show, hey, I'm not crazy asking you to do this, you know, chin tuck or a liquid rinse or whatever. It's it's truly working. And to be able to show it in color, I think, is really helpful. And then also having your patient do their exercises that, that you're planning to use in your treatment program to get an idea of if they're doing what the exercise is intended to do, just trying to get your patient to, you know, we know not everybody closes their glottis when they hold their breath and, and assessing that because then, you know, some clinicians are making these recommendations to do a superglottic swallow and things like that without having actually seen what's happening in the, in the larynx. And so it's really neat to be able to um, see all of that and see how it impacts the swallowing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You made some really good points there, I guess. Yeah. Fees is good for a lot of other reasons. You know, you don't have to use barium, which doesn't taste very good. And, you know, because you don't have the limits on time, you can do a lengthier study and there's some research that you're more likely to detect penetration and aspiration beyond the third swallow. Yeah. You know, I, I know when I was a student, we did threes, everything in right. threes. And then when you 
past the threes, sometimes you start to see things break down and it's nice to be able to do that. And I know when we go into our buildings for mobile fees and we'll, we have, we bring in the basics, you know, honey, nectar, thin, um, puree mix, consistency solids. But then I'll say, you know, is there anything else you want to look at? Do you want to look at carbonated liquids? Do you want to look at milk? Do you want to look at chopped meats? And um, it's nice to be able to bring other foods to the table. Or I did um, some training somewhere where there were people who um, ate a lot of um, like sticky rice. And so we use that on the fees and it's really amazing what that looks like in the family. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Being able to use the real foods that matter for individual patients is really cool. Cool. So yeah, you were talking about some specialty clinics. Um, You even mentioned a burn clinic. I guess I never thought of that either. I never thought of. Oh, I like the burn unit and I, they don't like to take them out because of infection risk and all that. So it's nice to bring able, be able to bring um, the equipment to them and not have them risk exposure. And then, you know, sometimes there's inhalation, like smoke inhalation damage that you can assess. I mean, we're not diagnosing anything, but you can kind of see the impact of of that on, on your fees exam and, and keep the patient in their, um, isolated environment, especially if they're not exposed to any, any germs that are out in the air when you take them out of that safe spot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and even, I mean, the, um, access to having fees on, like you said, holidays and weekends. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, when I worked in acute, we wouldn't be able to do a modified on the weekends or the holidays because they didn't either, they didn't either have the floor space or they just wouldn't have the staff to transport the patients and all that. So it was really nice to be able to do if you're, you know, do a really quick fees at the end of the day, if somebody came in and they're going to be NPO all weekend to be able to squeeze them in and, or do it on Saturday, Sundays, holidays. That's really great too. And I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you would want to just choose a fees over a modified, depending on your patient's presentation at bedside and, and what you suspect is going on based on the medical history. So, you know, if your patient has some vocal quality changes on top of some, some complaints of difficulty swallowing, then, you know, if these would be a really great way to identify something going on structurally, then you can pass that along to ENT or secretion management is huge, um, being able to see what's going on in there and make some recommendations based on that. So, so lots, lots and lots of reasons to do fees. Fees is also cheaper because you don't require all the personnel to transport people and you don't have to pay the radiologist as well. Um, it's us. And I know I've always worked in hospitals where I've been lucky enough to have a tech help was set up and all that. So you had an extra set of hands and everything, but that's a lot less expensive than paying for all the radiology staff and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I think like people get mad at me because I'm so pro fees and it's not, I'm I'm pro instrumentation is what I always like to say. I just want people to have access to this stuff. And the reality is like as wonderful as an MBS is, there's so many limitations, you know, I mean, we are bound by the radiologist, you know, whatever they say, whatever time slots they want to give us. And like you said, if, you know, Joe radiologist doesn't want to come in on Christmas, then what are we going to do? You know? Right. 
Well, and I think too, it's not like one replacing the other. It's having more options to uh, serve our patients. And, you know, same thing like fees isn't, isn't replacing the ENT endoscopic exam. We're there to assess swallowing and there are two different ways. And there's, you know, all these studies comparing both of the tests and, and they've all kind of come to the same conclusion that you get really good agreement with both tests, but you're just looking at the same thing in different ways. So they're both, they're, they're not perfect. Neither test is perfect. Both tests have limitations, but it's nice to be able to offer options. And if you have access to both, then your patients are better served. Could Could not agree more, Selena. All right. Preaching the choir here. You are totally, (laughs) I'm singing with you. So what are, what are some fundamentals? So now that we came all together here, what are some fundamental differences between the tests? Well, I always go back to Dr. Langmore's book. I think if you um, are doing fees, her book is like your Bible. It is (laughs) really easy to read from cover to cover. And it just, I mean, I think the last edition is 10 years ago, maybe, but it's still really relevant and it's a really good book, but she, um, she kind of highlights the fundamental differences between the two exams. And according to Dr. Laymore, the goddess of fees, um, (laughs) he says that only fees allows the direct view of surface anatomy, right? So you can see the mucosa and all of that. see all the structures with fees. You can see the abnormalities. If there's anything, you know, funky in there that you want to get anti to take a look at. Um, you can detect edema and erythema, which we use the reflux finding score yep. um, as a part of our exam on our mobile fees business. And we found that really helpful to just kind of let the doctors know if there's a lot of um, swelling, redness, things like that going on so they can address it. Only fees will allow you to see um, how the altered anatomy really impacts the bolus flow and and the airway protection. So you're able to see how those cords are moving. And I know sometimes people say they can see that on modifieds. And I haven't done a modified in eight years now. But when I was doing modifieds, I had a really hard time determining if uh, patients were getting glottic closure. Yeah. So, so as far as I'm concerned, fees is the only way to really be able to assess that. And then um, for modifieds, you can, you know, the, the plus to a modified that would be a weakness of fees is you can see what's going on with the bolus during the height of the swallow. So for people who don't regularly do fees or aren't as familiar with fees, there's a whiteout period, and that's during the height of the swallow when the epiglottis is deflected and the pharynx is constricted. Those lateral walls are all the way in, and you get light reflecting back into the endoscope. So there's, it's, it's a moment where you're looking at the sun. You can't see what's going on. Um, and so on a modified, you can see what's going on during that point in time. So that is definitely a benefit of modifieds. You know, with modifieds, you can, you can actually visualize both the oral and the pharyngeal phase. You can see the completeness of the movement. So base of tongue retraction and UES opening. And then with modifieds, you can see the whole airway. So you can see the extent of aspiration. With with fees, you're looking just mainly at the anterior trachea. Um, And it really depends on your patient's anatomy, how deep into the airway you can see. So that's a little bit um, better seen with with modifieds. 
also see the um, submucosal changes. So like if somebody has an osteophyte or cervical hardware, you can't actually see that on a, on a phase. You can sometimes see bulging tissue, but you don't know what's underneath it. So with, with modifieds, you can actually see the structures beneath. And this is just kind of a summary of what, what I, I pulled and what we use in our courses to highlight the differences between the two tests based on, on Dr. Lane Moore's findings. And Selena's got some awesome resources listed out here, a lot of different references. Um, so these will definitely all be in the show notes that you guys can all have access to as well. So... All right, so MBS is the gold standard, Selena, right? Wrong. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we we don't see the modified as the gold standard, but that is something that we hear, and and you know there have been a there have been a ton of studies comparing fees and modifieds. Um, the majority of the studies have been done at different times, so. If you have a fees at seven o'clock in the morning and then you have a modified at four o'clock in the afternoon, you might be looking at two totally different swallows um, based on, you know, what, what medications are on board, what, how, how intensive the therapy was that day. And so you're really not comparing the same swallows. And that's how the majority of these um, research articles have been, or studies have been completed. And so the best way to really compare the two tests is is by looking at simultaneous fees and modifieds. And there's only a handful of studies that have done this. And so I did include those in my um, references that I sent to you. So, but the gist is the like, you know, take home takeaway is that all of these simultaneous studies comparing the fees and modifieds have shown that neither test is the gold standard, right? They're both really good ways to assess swallowing. So most of the time you find really good agreement on diet recommendations, but you typically will have some instances where you don't find penetration and aspiration. And actually the majority of these studies have shown the instances where you don't see penetration or aspiration on a, um, on the two where you don't have agreement between the two studies, it's where it was actually identified on the fees, but not on the modified. So my guess is that this is usually those trace that when it's like that little trace little bit, right. and it's just not enough to be picked up on, on, on the fluoro. So, I mean, that's just my two cents, what my takeaway would be from that. Um, or, you know, when the radiologist takes their foot off the pedal, something happens that we completely right, miss. Right. So, I mean, I just know that I'm such a control freak right. like, and I just beat to my own drummer as it is, you know? So right. I just love having my own power over my own scope. But yeah, you know, I, like I said, I haven't done a modified in a long time, but it is, it is hard to sort of have to answer to somebody else. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sold. I want to start a fees program at my hospital now. Where do I even what? begin? Well, you have a big, long journey ahead of you. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, um, so starting a fees program in a hospital can be a huge undertaking. It is um, very time consuming and just know you have to be persistent. So there's, you know, a lot of things you need to think about. The first thing we recommend is to do your homework. So, you know, research, look at what ASHA has to say about fees, um, look at your particular state 
language different there there's a link from the ASHA website that that says which states have specific verbiage just because they have specific language about fees doesn't mean they necessarily have stricter regulations they just flag the states that have any any mention of fees in their policies and um, there are some states that do have some specific things like for example in Virginia you have to get trained by somebody who's been signed off by an ENT and do, I believe, 25 passes under either an ENT or a clinician who has been deemed competent by an ENT. So that's just one example. I know there are several other states that have specific things. So make sure you know all of that. And then you're going to want to look at vendors. So look at the different people who manufacture and sell uh, fees equipment and get quotes. You'll want to be able to get your hands on the equipment, see what you like and what you don't like about the different systems. Going to a conference would be a good way to do that because a lot of them will set up as vendors at ASHA or DRS, the larger conferences. Um, But a lot of vendors will come and do a demo at your hospital and um, make sure you ask a lot of questions about what what the system entails, what all is included. And then a huge important thing to find out is... um, how do you clean that equipment? And that's a huge thing is, is getting your infection control team on board with the system that you use. I've worked with hospitals that have done it backwards. So they get their equipment and then the infection control department doesn't approve of the approved method of cleaning the equipment that's approved for that particular system. And then they just hit this major roadblock and then their fee system is a really expensive coat rack. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I think I've heard so many horror stories about that. Like it's bananas. Yeah, it really is bananas. We get calls all the time about people who say they have a, they have equipment. Let's say you're new at a facility and you're like, Oh, I want to get this fees program up and running while we have fees equipment. And then you start doing the work and then you realize why you're not using it. And then that makes it harder for you to get new equipment because you've already been approved to get equipment didn't actually do anything with it. So, so it's important to ask all of those questions and do all that homework ahead of time. And you'll want to find out um, when you're, you'll have to submit for a capital budget approval. So you'll have to get all of your ducks in a row and all of that information to be able to present to the people who are decision makers. And so you'll want to look at all of the the financials. So does your staff need training? If there's no one who's fees trained, at your facility, what is the cost of attending a fees course? What is the cost of getting someone to come in and do supervision, all of that? What Are you going to use any type of anesthesia? Are you going to use food coloring? How much does that cost? Breaking down all of the expected expenses from the beginning will prevent roadblocks down the road because you have to ask for more funding after they've already given you something. And then Uh, Getting somebody to be an advocate for you is huge. So getting somebody who is a leader in your institution, a physician who will be your ally and fight for you is, is super helpful. And getting all of those people there when the vendors do come to do demos, I think is really helpful if you have your infection control, a couple of the decision makers present, and then they can ask questions, get a feel for the equipment as well. And then they're a part of the decision making process and giving them some of the power, I think helps, helps your case a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think like when people ask me a lot of these questions too, 
I just kind of send them back to the equipment companies. You know, I mean, the equipment companies know this stuff. You know, they know their approved cleaning infection control protocol. They know, you know, they they know the cost of their own equipment. They know the cost of the training that they're going to provide. So, you know, a lot of these places are trying to piece together how much all this stuff is going to cost. We just call an equipment company and they can easily tell you all these. So. They can tell you all of that. And then it, it's important to ask them what, what they provide. And it's important to know what happens, you know, if something goes wrong with your equipment and like, do they offer loaners and looking at software updates and um, do they offer financing? Um, what's the warranty? Um, getting all of that information from the front end and the vendors can actually also help you with the return on investment information. So they've, they've been doing this for a long time. So they can say, okay, it costs approximately this much to do a modified at an institution of your size. And, and this is how many months it would take. If you do even 50% of those as fees, this is how much, how many months it would take to actually pay for your equipment. And that speaks huge volumes to these people. So, and um, you know, they've done, they did that study in Canada that they presented at DRS. Yes, years yes. Ago. It's a great study. They found a $20,000 reduction in radiology costs. And then I think the most important thing is that the return to PO intake decreased. So, so having that information at your fingertips and then also looking at what the reimbursement is for fees, it's like $190, the Medicare reimbursement for fees. And it's like $88, I think for modified. So, so having all of that information there is super important and, and is what the people who make the decisions need to know. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad you brought up like the customer service and the loaner and things like that. I mean, I feel like I get calls about that stuff all the time. You know, people just get caught, you know, they just get, what is it, like shiny object syndrome, you know, and they just buy the first scope they see and they have no concept of asking these questions. And then, like you said, the scope breaks after one fees and now it's a coat rack because they didn't ask about a warranty. They didn't ask about a loaner. The company, of course, didn't offer it or anything. And, you know, now now the entire thing is like you said, a coat rack. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm going to cut Selena off right there just to uh, give you a quick word from our December sponsor, EndoHD. EndoHD is a compact fees system. It is a maneuverable design that provides convenience to do fees in more locations in the hospital, ICU, CCU, PICU, exam room, patient room. It is designed by an SLP specifically for fees. And at Altara Vision, we combine cutting-edge technology with clinician-inspired devices and phenomenal customer service to make the best imaging devices in the country. So if you are interested in EndoHD, please contact them at ndohd.com forward slash contact. That's ndohd.com forward slash contact to speak with a representative to discuss your fee system requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. And it's important you know, to kind of get an idea, like I said, about the infection control process, because if you're doing something that isn't approved by the manufacturer of your scope, you could actually void the warranty. Yes. Void the warranty. And then you're completely screwed. (laughs) So you want to make sure that you're in compliance with what their recommendations are, but also your facility infection control team is happy because if they're not happy, 
it's not going to pass. It's not going to fly. You're not going to be able to use that equipment in the institution. So I think that's the biggest barrier um, or the hardest part I hear from people who we help get their, their program set up. It's, it's dealing with infection control. Yeah. I actually, I taught a, a private face course at a facility a few years ago and they had a member of the infection control team come. And so when it was time for me to talk about <laughs> high level disinfection versus sterilization and why fees is high level disinfection, I got so nervous. And, um, but she, you know, she was super supportive. And I mean, their goal is just to keep people safe. Right. So even though it can be difficult to go through that process, just knowing that they're there to make sure that that you're not t- transmitting anything from patient to patient and that, that you're protecting the people that you're serving. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and like I said, it, it always, I mean, I've always been of the camp, like, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, you know, I mean, it just really takes one bad apple. Like it just takes one bad infection. Someone didn't clean a scope properly. You know, it just takes one bad apple to ruin it for so many of us. So that's why I'm, you know, such a stickler for doing things the right way as I know, you know, you guys are too. And yeah. And it's the time consuming way, yes, but it is, it is, right it is. Yeah, like yeah. not the fast way, right. it's not the quick way. <laughs> right. Okay. So what, what about like some, some protocol things? So what about anesthesia, food coloring, kind of all that stuff? So we don't use any type of anesthesia in our practice for two reasons. One, it would be a logistical nightmare (laughs) to try to figure out how to get lidocaine into these institutions from, and we're, we're all working from our cars. So we're like a locked drug, like it would be ridiculous. So, um, that, but more importantly, the research doesn't, is, is it in good agreement for um, really needing to use any type of anesthesia? In our practice, we have a fewer than, a less than 1% refusal rate, and we just use smooth talking, yeah. lubrication. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Usually um, we, we have good success with that. I, I know there was, um, there have been some studies where they looked at different levels of lidocaine and um, they were trying to find the sweet spot that didn't impact the swallow. And the most recent study I think is by O'Day and Langmore. And they found that I think it was like, um, Oh, I'm not looking at my notes. I'm going to get this wrong. It was like 2.2 mLs of, um, I think, 4% viscous lidocaine was what they determined to be this sweet spot where they had no change in the penetration aspirations for, but they did have an increase in comfort in the condition with using the lidocaine. But generally, the the other studies haven't shown where lidocaine has significantly improved comfort for patients. So, A lot of people who are in an ENT clinic and they have access to it, I think it's easy to use and and I can understand why you would want to minimize discomfort if you had that available to you, but we don't really have that option in the mobile fees world and it's, it's, it's not really necessary. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, like I say, I talk about this with Vince all the time, you know, I mean, it really just takes an experienced endoscopist that has good bedside manner to pass the scope well, you know, I, I, and I don't ever mean to like toot my own horn, but I've done enough of them. And I, you know, I kind of know all the right cues, verbal, tactile cues to say, 
to get them to relax and pass the scope quickly and rather painlessly. So, you know, people say that yeah. they had a horrible experience or this, you know, the girl was poking her patient and he was bleeding and, you know, and it's like, oh my good Lord, you know. <laughs> yeah. When I hear that from a patient, I'm like, just l- let me try. This is all I do every day. Yes. That's exactly what I say. Yeah. 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 Um, the guy yeah. I scoped today actually had like a horrific experience at the hospital and that's exactly, I'm like, I do this all day, every day, buddy. And I, like, I got it in. I was like, are, yeah. how are you feeling? He's like, I, I barely even felt it. And I was like, that's exactly what I said. I know. Is it in? So. <laughs> yeah. I always joke about, you know, a skilled endoscopist, a little sweet talk and a little lube will get you a long way. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Selena. Yes. Well, you know, you don't want to go up to your patient and say, I'm going to stick this tube up your nose. You totally. say like, oh, I'm going to shine this little light through your nose little uncomfortable it's not painful it just feels weird yeah that's um, exactly what I say yep exactly yep yeah (laughs) most people respond to that pretty well but you know every now and then and and you usually can tell when you get started if it's not gonna go well and then I just quit while I'm ahead and say okay I know (laughs) all right what about what about food coloring do you guys use green food coloring or use blue we use blue um yeah we use blue um I, you know, I don't know why they chose blue. Um, my guess is that, you know, there's nothing really in the body that's blue. There shouldn't be anything in your yeah. hypopharynx that's blue. So it's just a really nice contrast. I'm familiar with a couple of studies of, on food coloring and um, the results are different. And so we just kind of go with what we felt like works. We don't use a ton, but we just put enough in so that we can see everything really clearly and um, it stands out well. And it mixes with the different food items in a way that you can tell the difference. So even if you're looking at a picture, I can say, oh, that's nectar because we use like we use V8 juice for nectar. So it looks like swamp water. Whereas, you know, the juice we use for a thin turns this really bright, vibrant blue. So I can, I can tell, oh, well, that's leftover from this bolus and and this is new because every, every consistency is a different shade of blue. So I have done this way too much that I, it's okay. (laughs) I know it's, we're so weird what we can talk about for hours. I know, I know. (laughs) But speaking of food coloring, that's something else. If you're going to use it, you should factor into the expense of doing feed. Yes. Cause I think some hospitals say that they have to order like the individual vials the individual. And then I know, um, there are some people who have sensitivities to food coloring. And so there's the, I think it's the Fijian blue is the natural food coloring. And so it, it just kind of depends on, on, um, where you are and what's approved to use in your facility. All right. So let's talk a little bit about what fees competency would look like. So, you know, ASHA's, ASHA's guidelines are pretty loose. So there's no really, I I know people always come to me with this 25 number and I don't know if that's what it used to be um, before my time. I I have no idea, but people think they need 25 um, scope passes on normals and then 25 patients. I think that's around there is a good idea, but I think everybody is a little bit different. And some people, if you're already doing modifieds, it's not going to take you as long to be independent on fees because you already understand interpreting swallowing, you know, abnormalities and how to write that up and all that. So the ASHA guidelines are, are, like I said, pretty vague. It's really up to your institution to determine and, and whatever your state requirements, some states do have some specific language. 
Um, for example, when I was trained in VAs at the hospital, they had me do, I had to read a couple articles and then I had to do 20 normals, I think. And then I did about 25 patients under supervision. So they, they, they suggest doing normals. They suggest supervision with scoping patients. And then they, I think they say indirect supervision. So where you have a mentor that you can go to if you have a question. And then, you know, the ASHA code of ethics suggests that we should not do anything that's outside of our level of competence. So it's sort of, they kind of put the onus on the clinician to determine, you know, if you feel good and comfortable with proceeding with scoping patients. And so, you know, if you already have a competency for modifieds, you would possibly want to make the fees protocol similar to that, but you do need to include scoping normals and getting familiar with the endoscope and all that. And it's a motor skill. At, at first, it's kind of all over the place. And then once you get the hang of it, it, it becomes like second nature. I feel like the scope almost is an extension of my body. Totally, totally. Like I can't even say I know, what I'm doing. I know. So, um, so there's no real guideline, but there are examples. If you go to Google or to ASHA, there are some examples of competencies that you can use to model your competency if you're kind of building your program from the ground up. So step two is knowing our costs and presenting the savings. Yeah. So I kind of jumped around earlier, but you do have to go through the capital budget approval with larger institutions. And so you'll want to have all your ducks in a row. So you've already done all your homework. You have, let's say your top two systems that you're interested in, you've figured out your cost. And so you'll have to find out when budget submission deadlines are, get, get all your ducks in a row, get all of that information together and then present it. And so like I said before, you'll have to have your infection control team on board. I did learn recently that if you already have old fees equipment, sometimes you can bypass the whole capital budget thing and go through biomedical engineering. If you have a fee system or scope or something that's really outdated and they can no longer repair it, then you'll have to just get a whole new one. And so that can be a way to go around that. But I think you would still need to get the vendor a rep from the the company involved. So some tricks you can do with putting together your information for your capital budget would be to determine how much you're spending per patient for a modified. And many of the vendors can help you with this. They probably have a formula, but you'll think about what it costs to use the fluoro suite, what it costs to transport your patient down to radiology and all of that. And then the information, which we went over with the Medicare reimbursement rate, any of the costs related to training, getting yourself up and running, looking at the food coloring, how much does, if you're going to use Cytex or, or whatever high-level disinfecting fluid you're going to use, how much does that cost? Enzymatic cleaners, they can be really expensive, actually. There's the pre-moistened sponges, which are very expensive. We use the enzymatic wipes, which are a little bit less expensive. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Also, look at what the EMR charges are to, to integrate with that. Some tricks that I've learned over the years with helping hospitals with this is that you can sometimes go through a foundation for your hospital to help get training. So sometimes they'll give scholarships to send people to fees courses and get training that way. Another thing to look at is if you have multiple departments that can initially share fees equipment. So if you can share it between your inpatient rehab and acute or inpatient and outpatient, sometimes that'll be a good way to get the most bang for your buck. And then once you start doing all these fees, then you can justify getting another one. 
So that's, those are just some suggestions for getting started, but all of this is really facility specific. So you'll have to get familiar with the way your institution works and, and how to proceed with, with going up the ladder and, and, and going back to having someone who is an ally that's been through this process before within your institution is a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to get all this information out there. Cause like we said, we, we both know so many people that have now have fees equipment. Oh, that's yeah. a coat rack because they didn't go through the proper channels to begin with. Yeah, it's so. amazing. We've worked with some really like big, well-known hospitals that had their fees equipment, just collecting dust for years. And, you know, we brush the dust off, off and try to salvage it. And then, and sometimes it just doesn't, you know, it's, it's, 15 years old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and the yeah. cheapest isn't always the best, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. Right. And, and that's one thing to keep in mind too, that, um, you know, the, the most expensive, you know, or the least expensive might not be where to go. The least expensive, you may want to really look and, and see how durable it is and look at the yeah. software and play with it, tinker with it. Yeah. I mean, I know I said before, you know, customer service and warranty, but I really cannot stress that enough, you know, right. customer service, warranty, loaner, this is all stuff that you, you know, think you can shave money off of and not care about in the beginning until you actually need it and you're screwed. So yeah. Ask how do they do their software updates? How do they roll that out? You know, if you have a problem, is there a number you can call if something breaks, what do you do? Are you left without, or is, yeah. there, is there a potential to get a loaner and, and help with the turnaround on that? There's a lot of information to collect on the front end to, to take that into your, your decision-making. Yeah. Oh, there's another point I wanted to make. I forgot. I, some companies aren't probably going to be happy with me saying this, but I think what's important too, is to go with a company that even if they don't have a speech pathologist on staff, they have some sort of SLP consultant, you know, like there's some different ENT companies that are selling the endoscopes, which is great. But then SLPs try to call them and explain what it is that we're trying to do or what we're trying to see or what, you know, still frame shot we're trying to get. And they don't understand why we need that. Yeah. So I've heard of a lot of people getting frustrated with their equipment because, you know, the ENT rep doesn't know how to, doesn't know why we're using it. So that's why I think it's really important to make sure that you pick an equipment company that has an SLP consultant that can, can answer those questions for you. Agree 100%. And and if they have an SLP consultant, then typically the clinician has already sort of tinkered with the system and given feedback. And so it's based on on what works for a speech pathologist. And then, you know, it's it's important to know how they handle training. So sometimes I don't know about all the companies, but I know some of the companies these days are offering training with purchase of their their equipment. And so that's something to keep in mind. And if you're already trained or all your staff is already trained, then they can sometimes take that off the the cost of the system. Oh, you don't need training. So we'll take, you know, this much money off, but that's important as well. Is there someone that they can go just to ask questions? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel sometimes we're so far off on our own, you know, dysphagia islands. It's nice to have someone else to bounce something off of. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So step three is presenting our information. Yeah. So you've done all this homework, you've crunched your numbers, then you have to present it to the powers that be the decision makers. So you're going to come up with a brief, you, you're not going to give them every single detail of every research article you read. 
They don't need to know all of that. You're going to present the the gist of everything, the benefits to your hospital, to your patients, to your department, highlight the cost savings that can be achieved by, by adding fees to your facility. And then if you get approved, hopefully you will, then um, you'll send a PO to the vendor and then they kind of coordinate from there. And, and you'll want to talk with them about getting set up with training on how to use the equipment, how it works, and getting infection control involved with that as well. Let me ask you, do you guys go, like, when facilities purchase your equipment, do you pay them a site visit to help set up the equipment, or is it just mailed? Yeah, we, I personally am not involved with that because I, I don't work for Altera Vision, but they, they do, they go and do what they call, I think a tech setup. So yeah. what they'll go, they'll do is they'll actually, they take everything out of the box, they put it together and then they do a training, which takes a couple hours, just like, here's how you, you know, do a screenshot. Here's how you save. Here's how you archive. I know with the EndoHD system, they will offer a template if they want to use the, the report template that that is provided and kind of go through, this is how you tweak it if you want to do that. And, um, and so that's been very helpful. And then if a hospital also wants us to do training with them, then we'll tie in the tech training with the fees training course or on-site supervision, whatever it is that they need. So um, yeah. that's important to ask your vendors if they're going to actually give you a tutorial on how to use everything. Totally. I just, there was a, one of my, she's a friend of mine, but just, you know, I helped her advocate for getting fees equipment and the hospital had a preferred vendor that they went with and literally the equipment showed up in boxes and that was it. Like they did. And didn't then she have, had to put it together. Yeah. So she's like, can you come help me set this up? I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and, and so we did, but you know, I'm just like this freaking company like they couldn't even send somebody out to help That's like crazy. I'm yeah, super yeah. familiar with our equipment and I still wouldn't want to do that <laughs> right <laughs> yeah putting all that yeah. stuff together getting your tool belt out <laughs> yeah yeah I know I was like I don't yeah this is not what I do but no yeah, this is we not did my it. thing this is not my thing yeah all right so I think that about ties everything up with hospitals. Do you think we, we missed anything? I think if I missed anything. I think, I think another takeaway, really just the most important thing is when you're presenting stuff to your administrators, decision makers, is just to think clinical standpoint, productivity, and financial angles. I think those are the three things to think about and, and to really highlight how bringing fees into your facility will improve all of those areas. Awesome. All right. Okay. But what if I work in long-term care? So if you work in long-term care, I think, you know, I know that, that there are some long-term care institutions where they have actually been able to implement a fees program. And Vince Clark is an example of that, but I think that's few and far between. So typically what you'll want to do is, is find out about a mobile fees provider and getting information. You know, you'll do a lot of the same homework as we we've already highlighted for growing a fees program, except you're going to be calling fees providers. So you're going to want to find out what's the turnaround. How quickly can they get to your building after you call them? What is the charge? Do they, do they need to have the order ahead of time? Can you give them the order when you get there? Most, I, I think most mobile fees providers have some sort of guaranteed window yeah. as far as like we promise we'll be there within this many days. And then 
do they offer continuing education? Are they available? Can somebody call you and ask you a clinical question? And, and that's really important. And, and we try to offer that. I know I'm in the car a lot. So I'm like, please call me people. Call me yeah. and ask me questions because I have a four hour drive today. <laughs> I know. I, I think that's like, I think that's how I got to know Vin. We're both driving for five hours today. So yeah. Yeah, I'm like, keep me entertained. Tell me a funny story yeah. about today. And yeah. he's pretty funny. He's got some Oh, completely. Parts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so asking those types of questions. And then when you're you're going to the decision makers, just compare that to what the, the modified service would be. So I know around here, we don't really have a steady a mobile modified. I know in some other areas, that's a big competitor to the mobile fees business. But um. So a lot of our patients are, are having to wait to go out to the hospital. So it's a no brainer. I mean, if you can't get a fees for six weeks, right. or I'm sorry, if you can't get a modified for, for six weeks, then clearly having somebody come within a few days to do a fees is, is the best option right. and being able to offer that. Um, and then not to mention when your patient has to leave the facility, how that can be just really hard for them and take them away from, from getting their therapy for the day and, all of that, it can be, it can be problematic or, or patients who are a little bit confused already when you take them out into the hospital and they have to wait and it's always cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to be. I mean, I live in Buffalo. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, yeah. we don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, you brought up a good point and, and I feel like I talked to so many SLPs about this. They're like, well, I'm trying to figure out this mobile system and I'm not sure how it works. And I don't know how the, mo- the mobile fees company works. And I'm always like, just call them. Like, just call them. Right. Like, they just will explain all this stuff to you, you know? So, I mean, yeah. I think, you know, the difference with hospitals is you do have to do a lot of background research within your institution. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, within infection control and things like that. But with long-term care, we're kind of bound by different Medicare regulations. And I mean, the systems are in place, you know, so it's just getting to know that mobile fees company that would be servicing you. So I just, if anybody is interested in, in, in working with a mobile fees company, just call them. I mean, they will answer Mm -hmm. all of your questions. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they want your business. So if you, if there's a specific need that you have asked and see if they can accommodate you. Yeah. And I think another thing that just drives me nuts too is I I just don't ever want people to write off their patients, you know, and they're like, Well, I think I think we have people in the facility that would benefit, but I'm not sure. I always say just call and just try. You know, I don't know if you guys have like if you guys charge a fee if you can't pass the scope or if they refuse or anything. No, I mean I don't either. Like we don't charge anything. No, no. We don't want to discourage people completely. That's what I always say. We always try and if it doesn't work out then we don't charge you. And I mean there's there that's a win win for everybody. So I think there's a lot to be said for that. And and you know, it if you have a clinician that has a lot of questions, actually being able to go out there, even if you have a failed attempt, you can spend some time to, to talk about, you know, who is appropriate for a fees and, and let's, let's talk about this patient and in other ways that we can, we can help them. And I think that's, that's really important. Totally. And that's why I really enjoy this job is we get to work with people every day and make a difference. Even if we don't actually impact that one patient, we're making a difference all the time. I completely agree. All right. Any, anything else you want to add to that, Selena? I think we pretty much covered 
everything about trying to get fees in your facility, whether it be getting a fee system or getting mobile fee services. I think just the important thing is just to advocate. Don't get discouraged with the first no you hear. Be persistent and know that, you know, if you do your homework and do your due diligence, eventually you'll get there and, and being able to offer, you know, various ways of assessing swallowing is, is what it's all about. This is, we're talking all about fees and, and I am biased because I, I learned fees. I learned to interpret fees before I did modifieds. I've always just really enjoyed fees, but you know, both tests are great. It's just having options for your patient so that you can make the decision of what's most appropriate for your patient, not just you only have access to one. Right. Right. All right. Well, I don't think that I prepared you for this, but I'm going to ask you my final question anyways. Is there? I think I know. All oh, right, said. good. I know. Everyone's <laughs> caught on. All right. What is the one, you know, practice or what is one paper researcher? What's been a game changer in your practice? Well, no one else has stuck with just one. So. Ah! <laughs> it is really hard. It is. It is. But courses, I hands down, Julie Huffman's esophageal course is good. I want to take it again. I, it's been about 10 years since I, I last took her, her two-day course, and it, it really impacted me. I was still working in a queue, and, and um, we weren't doing esophageal sweeps with our modifieds. And, you know, I, I had a great experience in graduate school. I had a really good dysphagia instructor, but I didn't really understand what was going on in the esophagus, and it just, like, rocked my world. Yeah. It's a great class and Julie's a lovely, lovely person. Yeah. So, so that's a, a number one for me. And um, we've been recently doing some courses with Dr. Ashley O'Rourke. She is an otolaryngologist who started out as a speech pathologist. So she so worked cool. for seven years. Yeah. yeah. And um, her courses have been great. And I've just learned so much from her as far as describing what I see on fees when something is abnormal. I just felt really insecure about what words to use. And so she's taught a lot about how to describe things in a way that where you sound intelligent, but then you're not like overstepping. Yeah. And so, so her courses are great and she's, she's funny and, and interesting. And then of course, Susan Langmore's work, um, her research, in addition to, I took her fees course um, her advanced fees course. And, yep. and it was really good kind of highlighting the newest research and, um, and, and kind of more advanced fees interpretation. And I took a lot away from that. And, and, you know, her work, which has been discussed on your podcast yes. about looking at the the predictors for aspiration pneumonia. I think that was really important. And I, I think back to that every day when I'm making recommendations, I, I always think, okay, well, this patient has these predictors and that's something that we have to keep in mind when we're making recommendations for them. And so absolutely, um, her work is just incredible and yeah. uh, she's interesting and an amazing person to learn from. Well, thank you so much. Selena. Thank you. It was, it was fun. It was great to finally was, um, see you in person too. I know. I know. <laughs> So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes 
or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills and thank you so much to all of you for listening. Coming soon from Speech Science, Talking With Tech. With me, Rachel Madel and Chris Bouguet. What are we going to be talking about? Stop feeling so daunted by technology. Push the button. You're not going to break it. Help people start implementing. Maybe listen to our podcast and go, well, I could try that tomorrow. Conversations with the thought leaders behind all this. I'd also love to hear success stories. If it's working for you, then maybe it could work for somebody else. Go to tech.speechscience.org, subscribe to our podcast, and check that site for exclusive content that you won't see anywhere else. Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Ivan Campos, Lucas Stuber, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question, what is communication? 